Hello everyone and welcome to the Early Stages podcast by APX. My name is Søren and on this podcast we guide you through everything you as an aspiring founder or newly started business need to know about the first steps towards building a successful company. Each episode focuses on one specific topic that can help you as an entrepreneur on your way to success. Today's episode is about raising the first money to get your company off the ground. Let's get started. And to talk fundraising for startups and to guide the discussion with me here today, I am joined in the host seat by Daniela Machado, head of legal at APX. Welcome to the podcast, Daniela, and thanks for being my co-host today. Thank you for the introduction, Sören, and I'm very happy to be here. And Daniela, fundraising is one of the most crucial but also difficult things you'll face as a founder, especially when you're a new founder. Don't you agree? Yes, for sure. And I think uh, fundraising actually requires a lot more than just having a great product. Actually, you need to be well-connected. You need to find the right partner to support the growth of your business. After all, it's almost like a marriage story. You just, you find the right partner and you can probably, that partner is going to stay with you for the rest of your business lifespan. But there are some, a few questions that we often ask ourselves and when is the right time to raise funds? Um, to whom should we be reaching out to? What is the right structure of the fund uh, or the round itself? And how much do we actually need in, in order to approach investors? But oftentimes, startups don't have the right guidance. So I think it's always really good to gather some really um, right input in order to, to make this the right decision for you. Yes, and we'll try to get as many of these questions answered on the podcast today because without, without cash, there is no fun for your startup. There's no way around it. You will need some kind of funding to, to grow your startup, uh, particularly if your startup is at a stage where it's unable to generate revenues, which is usually the first years. And there are multiple ways to raise uh, money from VCs or angel investors, crowdfunding, microloans, grants. Uh, our focus today will though primarily be on getting funding from uh, investors. Um, and on our podcast, panel today we're joined by two people who who know a thing or two about fundraising and how it's like first of all we have tolga ermis who is co-founder and ceo of promise q welcome tolga hi thank you zoran hi daniela uh, thank you for the invitation um, uh, and the chance to be here we are promise q and we are reducing false alarms for security monitoring centers and helping security companies to actually focus on delivering security and uh, not having to manually sort out false alarms. We've been fundraising last year and we're doing fundraising again right now. And uh, I'm happy to discuss here. Yeah, and that's definitely one we would like to dive into today with you, Tolga. Your company Promise Q is currently fundraising, as you just said, for the for the second time in, in its existence. I, on a general note, how would you describe your experience with fundraising so far? I think what early stage founders uh, should think about is or should realize is fundraising is a tool. It's not uh, your aim as a founder to actually fundraise. Your job is to build your company and to, to get customers and get your product on the street. And um, I think this should be realized earlier on then um, actually it is the case nowadays with new founders, including me last year. And I could imagine, Tolga, these are then, of course, uh, learnings that you're taking with you to the to the next fundraising that is currently happening. And I would love to uh, get to 
talk more about your experience there. But but just first, I would like to also um, introduce our second panelist today on the topic of fundraising, Tina Schmitz, partner and founder of Auxo Female Catalyst Fund, where you invest in companies with at least one female founder. Tina, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. It's great to have you on the podcast for sure, Tina. And I want to just get straight into our topic uh, with a question for you, um, a general one. Uh, why is fundraising important for startups? Well, there are some companies and some business models that need significant growth money. And that's when it makes sense to go fundraising. Of course, for most business, it's actually better to just um, not fundraise and just grow out of your own cash flows. Um, but there are business cases where it's 100% advisable to get external funds, to get, get external money in, particularly VC. Um, and that's why, why you need to fundraise. <laughs> no fundraising, no money. <laughs> no fundraising, no money. And without money, it's hard to, to grow your business. But is it, is it only about the money to, to keep going? Or, or what is it really about when you fundraise? No, I mean, we always say that um, you should only go and raise VC money if the business model really needs it. Um, so if you really need to grow very quickly and need to grab market quickly, if you really need to um, finance development quickly and you need to finance it ahead of any revenues, then you should go and get investor money. Most investors don't like to just, like what you alluded to was just kind of financing a little bit of cash flow. Uh, most investors don't like doing that that much in the early stages. And because when you invest in very early stage companies, you have a huge risk profile. So um, that means that you want to see significant growth on what's there already to make up for the risk. So um, big risk means I need big returns. So there's a question for Tina. For all the people who have never done a fundraising before, so early, like first timer founders, is it would be good to understand what are the general steps of the fundraising and how it generally works. So first of all, the very first moment, who makes the first contact? Will it be the investor or the startup? And what is your experience? It depends on the deal, but uh, it's often the startup. There are a lot of uh, VCs that now like scrape all the companies on LinkedIn that uh, indicate stealth mode um, and, and contact them. There are lots of ways how you can get actively uh, approached, but in general, it's going to be an intro that comes from external or from, through a third party. But before that, there's really the step where you need to decide whether to, to fundraise and how much to fundraise. That's kind of the most critical point because usually in the conversation, you'll very quickly will come to the point, hey, how much are you fundraising? And I think that's one of the most important things that the founders need to, to have prepared. Well, it's like, why am I fundraising this much money or that much money, that little or this much? <laughs> so I think that's the very, very first step. And then you need to work out your strategy, how to reach um, investors or how to be reached by investors. And in, in relation to the last point that you mentioned, how much you should be fundraising, whether fundraising is the right moment for you to do so, what do you generally looking into in terms of, let's say the company says, well, I need, I don't know, 500,000. Yeah. So I would generally ask like, what are you reaching by the time this money is gone? And it's not just the time the money is gone. It's the time the money is gone minus three to six months to raise new money. <laughs> and yeah, what are you reaching? And um, to answer the question of what are you reaching, the startup needs to answer what are the next step changes that they need to reach? 
in order to get the next fundraising round. And this is something that's different in every market, what you need. But in general, you need to really increase your team. You need to make sure that you filled a lot of the gaps that you have in your team. Every startup is is just like one big gap of skills. So you need to like kit up some more of the skills gap that you have. This is the also the homework that the founders need to, to do is like, where do you need to get to for the next big step change? One really good way to do this is to just go out with a number to kind of second rate investors and see what they think about this (laughs) so the market will also give you a lot of insight on this but whenever you speak to an investor you should you should ask the question where do you think we should get to with this round if once you get into the conversation of how much you should be raising tina can i just ask you there you said just go out with a number what if you say something that's completely off from what the investor would think that you should be raising? Isn't that a bit of a dangerous move? Yeah, you need some uh, you need some foundation for it. But there are lots of people you can also ask for help. And um, the dumbest number is 18 months. What do you need to run? Yeah, and not like skip along, but to run for 18 months. And that's kind of the base number you go from. If you start with 18 months, you're pretty safe. No one's going to laugh at you. And then you can, as you go along and you get a feeling for it, you can reduce it to 12 months because you have something really big coming up, like there's a legislation change coming that you know that's coming, like you have a technical development that's going to kick in then, there's a corporation that's going to kick in at a certain point. There are some extraordinary circumstances where it could happen, but to do a proper equity round, you always should calculate with 18 months. In times of recession there, and even now with the Ukraine conflict, some people are looking at these kind of distressed models. And then you might want to say, no, it's better if we can run for 24 months or 36 months. But in general, it's advisable to go for 18 months. Understood. You said you, you have a number that has to you have to back, be backed up by some information. But that's what we're talking about what we intend to raise. But how you determine also in connection with this, what is the valuation of the company? Is it something that the companies would propose to you? Would it be something that you looking into the, the information the company would be giving to you? You either have discussions around that or you propose a number, you do a, a specific modeling. Or h- how do you normally do that? There's another dumb answer for this, which is what's the valuation so that you reach a dilution of 20%? with your 18-month run rate. So that's like your really basic calculation you need to make, and that's your starting point. There's some companies that can only dilute by 15%. I barely ever see it in early stages. In later stages, yes, but then you know all this stuff and you won't be listening to this podcast. But in the early stages, you can do with your first proper VC round 15, and in some cases it's available to go to 25. So, but 20, you're safe, start there. And then you see who else isn't interested. It might be good to get more people in because you get really great expertise in. So then you make it a bit bigger. You might have to dilute a bit more. But start with your 20 for, 20% dilution for 18 months of run rate. When you talk about angels, so kind of a step before the VCs, you would typically be looking at in your kind of angel stage, so pre-VC stage, if you want to go into VC later, not some companies stay with angels, but if you do want to go into VC later, you should be looking at for your entire VC round, a dilution of around, or like your angel phase, that's, it's often not around, it's often staggered into multiple bits. You should be looking at somewhere between 10 and 20% for all your angels together. Ideally keep it towards 10. You need to do your homework, how much money you want, you need to raise. Once you've done that homework, it's all about getting how much value add can you get 
out of the, the delusion that you're giving up. So I really want founders always to think about that delusion that they're giving up is like the most valuable thing they have. Yeah, you give away part of your child. Yeah, so really, how can you get, if you have to do this horrible thing of giving part of your company away, how you can you get as much relevant value add into your company as possible? I think the very best way to do it is to really make a list of your ideal value add people and the areas where you need value add. You, you know, you might think like, oh, I've got this dream angel. Yeah, write it down. Then you have this area where like, oh, I really could have little advice coaching on how I do B2B sales, on how I do online marketing. Write down that area, find out who the very best angels are in that field and approach them. Approach, approach, approach. These people get flooded with intros or proposals for investments. Just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> and you will find good ones. Then with the really early micro funds, I think they can be really great to fill up your tickets quickly. And they also, a lot of them provide so much value add. Like for example, we, we, we often go into kind of angel rounds and one of the big value adds that we provide is that we just have a huge network that we bring and we bring it on a professional basis. Usual angels, you know, they do this part-time. We do it full-time, like it's our job to make your introductions. So that is also a really great idea. And there are some super qualified nano, super early VCs out there that really fantastic value add investors to have. I have to say, I think it's it's interesting, right, to talk about this topic. Actually, you're going for money, but you will end up focusing on so many other things. And Tina, I'm guessing this is also because you would make the case that the money is is out there. We hear this, right? The, the as a startup, it's you're not going to find a lack of investors. So you, when you come to the point where you want to give up a part of your company, your your, your baby, you want to be very selective. And you already mentioned some good criteria for how you, as a founder, can determine whether this is an investor you want to get on on board. Uh, I would love to bring in Tolga here because Tolga, now Tina has just outlined basically how to do it. And this is now your chance to say, we did exactly that or we did exactly the opposite. We would, of course, love to hear your experience with fundraising. Can you tell us about your experience so far, both with the time you fundraised last year and, and also how it's going now? Sure. I 100% agree with Tina and uh, Daniela, of course. We more or less did exactly that. So we started out last year, as I said, approaching VCs, etc., cetera, um, uh, seed VCs, bigger ones, smaller ones. And um, we figured out, okay, we should maybe focus more on our customers right now, on our pilot customers, convert them into real paying customers and focus on product. And uh, we, we did that. And that was, as it turns out, the right move. We stopped back then talking to VCs and concentrated on um, getting on board strategic angel investors. And uh, we got two really amazing angel investors alongside APX, of course. And since then, um, the, the value add that was described earlier really helped us um, to, to progress so much in terms of product, business development and team. So in the meantime, we were also able to hire some uh, key core team members and close the gaps that we had uh, before in the team. And now we're standing here just before a new fundraising round with a great team, with paying customers, five figures, with multi-year contracts. And I think now we have, a yeah, as I said, a better standing and we will have a better negotiation 
power to go in these uh, VC talks. Yeah, I think something to add to this that's really important is that a lot of the VCs, it's not like, I think from the outside when you don't know what's going on, you kind of think like, oh, I only have one shot. Yeah, that's not right. You only have one shot to convey that you're a high potential company, but you don't have only one shot to fundraise. So most VCs actually like to accompany companies for a long time and do like to speak early. So like what you say, Tolga, you had some conversations and you decided to go back to angel raising is like that's really no mistake to make. And it's actually kind of a good good way to work. And I bet like the people that you spoke initially, they're also on your list to contact first. Definitely. We're still in contact. I'm, I'm giving them constant updates and um, I'm going to approach them first in the first wave, basically. Yeah, again, here it's dating, you know, like you don't want to do anything too quickly. <laughs> so um, to stay in touch and, and accompany the people along the, uh, along the ride is the best way to get to know them. And this is really something that all investors want to see. They want to see how are they developing, how are they working, how are they making progress. And this is best seen by, by speaking to people for a long time. That's interesting. And, and Tolga, of course, you also bring in the fact that you made some learnings from your first fundraising last year. Could you tell us, though, just I, I want to get back to, like, this was the first time, if I'm not mistaken, that you did fundraising. Could you tell us a little bit about sort of how did you go about it from the beginning? Did you get, who did you get advice from and how did you find out, how did you deal with the situation? Because let's be honest, it's, it's complicated. Yeah, definitely. What we did is we joined an incubator last year, uh, beginning of last year. That was the Bosch Startup Harbor in, in Tempelhof. And then we got actually um, coachings for, for fundraising, for venture building, etc. And through that uh, incubation program, we had a vague idea how to do that. So do a financial plan, do your, do your business roadmap, and then derive from that how much money you need to, to build your product and go to market. So this was the initial point. Then we got uh, uh, introduced to APX through this program and got into the APX program, got APX as microfund as first uh, investor. And uh, we did, again, some venture building coaching and also fundraising uh, coachings. And like that, I learned uh, gradually, okay, what needs to be done, but still it was all in theory. So nothing is uh, real until you, you know, jump into the cold water. And then, uh, yeah, we did that. Yeah, but as Tina said, talking to, to investors, just coming with a number, of course, with backup information. And then talking to investors, you will get iteratively more information on, on how to present your company right, how to present your numbers right, get a feeling about valuations and uh, how much you should raise and how much traction you should have, actually. That's very crucial, I think, for early stage founders. Could you share, Targa, what if from the first fundraising round that you would have done different with the experience you now have? Because you, you touched upon this and we know that you're now getting ready for the second round, but it's it's no secret that you know these things are, are difficult, as we, as we said. So could you share maybe some of the very concrete things that you now know? This is something I would have done different in hindsight, where it's always easy to be smart. I would focus on getting the angels first, really good angels, strategic angels, still talking maybe to some VCs, but not full-time and really concentrating on business development and product. I think a question that we should maybe ask ourselves and also um, get uh, Tolga's input in this is he mentioned that he would have focused more on business development and as opposed to take too much like a full-time job in fundraising. 
So how much effort does it take if you want to properly fundraise? How much effort and how much time it actually took for you to just reach, to start reaching out to investors, have a plan, and eventually having the, the money in your bank account? It is a full-time job. You cannot do sales at the same time and do fundraising. If you want to do both properly, then it's basically two roles. So you have to concentrate on, on one of the things and do it properly. So I would say... In the early stages, I would more, in my case at least, I would have put more focus and more time onto the sales and business development, do the fundraising afterwards when you have reached your self-set milestones. I mean, that's that's what is what's important. Fundraising is a tool. So you need the money to build your company, but you have to build your company. You have to start building your company first. Otherwise, no one is going to invest in that because, as Tina said, the risk in the early stages is just too high for founders, but also for, for the investors. Yes, completely agree with that point. And I would say that also um, would be also good to hear from Tina, what are the general mistakes that you see when founders reach out to you? So I think one of the mistakes, I mean, not just regarding us, I think a general mistake that a lot of people make, um, and there are different opinions on this, but I'm really strong on this, is with angels, they say, oh, no, I'm only going to take angels if they do a certain ticket size. Um, if they're really high value add, you should take them in. Like it's free work that you get. It's awesome. Yeah. So, um, um, and if you get it in for even less money, <laughs> it's all the better. It's like cheaper free work. <laughs> so that's kind of one thing that I see that I always like, oh no, don't say this. And so that's kind of one of the things that I see. The other thing is, um, I think some people don't play quite transparent enough. So especially with people like me, I'm a co-investor. I kind of really would like so the mode that I want to go into working is I will offer you to make you literally five introductions, 10 introductions to funds, but you need to be transparent with me who you're already talking to. Otherwise I can't do my work. So anything that's kind of too kg and it's like, nah, I don't know, I'm not really want to tell, da, 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 that's not right. Just try to be transparent in this process. This is already relationship building. Yeah, introduction emails, like soft and I get... Hi, can I tell you about my idea or my product? I don't want to invest in an idea or a product. I'm investing in a company. Yeah. I want people to tell me about their company. So, um, and, and this is something in terms of mindset that I see when, when people, when I always see, oh, this is one of these idea or product or just like a product person, like I lose interest so quickly because I want to see a company. The list goes on and on. <laughs> I think something that's a real issue is if people aren't prepped. So if I ask you, can you send me your cap table? And you say, what's a cap table? No. Oh, NDA. That's a huge one. Yeah. I'm not going to sign an NDA. I know no one who's going to sign an NDA for a first conversation. I will sign an NDA if we're looking into patents, which I will never do. And 90% of the VCs will never do. Yeah. So do not even start with NDAs because that's immediately like, oh, that's someone that's super complicated and I don't even want to work with them. You guys, you guys are smiling. I can, I know on the podcast, you can't see this, but I can see everyone smiling. <laughs> it's really good. And like the reason I was smiling personally was because of the sort of emotion that came up when you talked about the NDA or the undisclosure agreement. You can really hear the frustration in your voice, which was very authentic. So that's why I was smiling at least. So often it's very, um, it's people with like a scientific background and they might have a really great tech in the back. Yeah. But this is for me, one of the, oh no, they don't know how to build a company is because they don't understand that the sales process and not a 
Oh, I'm disclosing my secrets process. Yeah, it's upsetting when it happens. Talia, maybe just a question for you as well to, to this, because Tina just shared a couple of points to how to definitely not do it with uh, with investors. And in, in that, it also implies like, how do you best get a good deal with uh, with the investor? Can you share for other founders out there one or two tips from your experience in, in working with investors and, and getting the best deal for you? And I'm aware that you are sitting with one of your investors here uh, today, but, but let's just be transparent. I think uh, your last sentence puts it right. I think you have to be super transparent. I mean, you want to work with this organization or with this uh, person for the rest of your business life. And um, you need to be super honest where you stand, uh, who's going to co-invest, you know, how big is your team, like everything basically about the sales funnel. So it, you need to be super transparent, even though it might mean that, um, you know, some of the investors are not going to be interested at that point in time. But you should see it as a sales process, like Tina said, and being completely honest. Of course, you have to sell and you have to, you know, show your, your value, but uh, you have to stay honest at the same time. I think the best advice is to just approach investors at eye level. Like if you're not, don't see eye to eye and your approach is kind of too, oh, I'm so excited to speak to you. Oh my God. Like, you know, this is about a, a, establishing a collaboration and this is how you need to see the entire time. You're DDing, so you're due diligencing, so checking out the other side as much as the other side is checking you out. So if you kind of approach it with that kind of confidence and that assumption that you're entering a long-term relationship, I think you... you you're pretty good. It's not like applying for a bank loan. Super cool. I think that's a really good place to end the podcast today, talking about both transparency and, and seeing each other as, as partners uh, in the in the long-term game. Thanks so much for taking your time to be here with us today and to share some of these insights and anecdotes. Uh, we're sure a lot of other founders can benefit from them. Thank you, Tina and Tolga. You're welcome. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for having us. And thank you, Daniela, for being my co-host today. Thank you. It's very lovely to be here. Thanks, all of you. That's all for today. If you have feedback or topic ideas, send me an email at cern at apx.vc or comment on the episode on social media where we are at APX Berlin. The Early Stages is a podcast by APX produced by WakeWord. Thanks to you for listening. My name is Sora Nielsen and I will be back in two weeks time. We will end as always with a voice message we've received from one startup in the APX portfolio whom we've asked to share one thing they wish they would have known before they started their company. Here's what they said. Hi there, I'm Dom from This That. We're an insight company helping some of the biggest brands and agencies uncover brand lift and creator-led research. One thing I wish I'd learned when I started my own company is that hiring the right team is key to success. And it's super important that everyone shares the same aspirations and passion for the idea. 